You're listening to the Build Assets Online Podcast. Learn how you You. can build a diverse and sustainable income online from two brothers who actually do it. Now, here are your hosts, Mike and Joe. We're back, everyone. Joe and Mike, buildassetsonline.com. Today, we're talking about how you can profit in high-ticket dropshipping, even with the supply chain global crisis. How do you stay on top? Is it is it now a bad time to start because of this uh, debacle? That's part of our shared reality. We're going to find out today on buildassetsonline.com podcast. Welcome to the show. I'll tell you what, Jug. I got some sunburn right now. It's, uh, it's making me very itchy. So I need calamine lotion. <laughs> That's disgusting. <laughs> Well, yeah, I mean, so supply chain, what's going on, Joe? I know you have your finger on the pulse with a lot of these things, all these global trends. My finger, be, uh... my finger is off the pulse lately. I'll tell you where my finger has been. <laughs> my finger has been all about the Google update, what's going on with that. And on that subject, what I will say is, you know, if you're worried about the global the the supply chain crisis and how it relates to to high ticket drop shipping it always comes back to the same point we always make i still don't believe there is a better business model to get started with than high ticket drop shipping because when it comes to these google update like this google update i feel in my opinion if you just have a site that's relying on organic traffic this google update is not like it's not about anything I think it's just like a bug. Like Google is like freaking yeah. out. Like AdSense went down. There's uh, heat waves everywhere. I think things are going down at the data centers. You think you think Google caused the heat waves? No, no. I think the heat waves have been affecting. Uh, oh, their operation. You think they mess with the uh, the DARPA algorithm? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think it goes to show. You know the supply chains, the global logistics, all this thing, all this, all this shit, is is nothing compared to some nerd at Google with his his finger on the button. Exactly. That that could crash everything for you. And yeah, if we if we had not diversified our operations and we were totally reliant on SEO, then I mean I don't I don't know what kind of mental state you would be in. You know, it, w- right. it wouldn't be pretty. Right. But now. I mean, I have people that are talking to that, you know, we talk a lot of SEO. They mainly operate in the the content site space. You know, some of them are just done. Like this, this is the fun, you know, if that's all you have and you're, yeah, if that's all you got and stuff like this happens, maybe you get hit, maybe you don't. But at the end of the yeah. day, it comes back to claiming your financial freedom first. And that's that's what high ticket dropshipping provide. And I still think in a much safer way than any other business model online because what say you're doing fba you think you're not going to be impacted by the global supply shortage in my opinion probably the best probably really one of the better ways to make money in fba now is probably back to the basics back to retail arbitrage (laughs) back to some sort of arbitrage because that's what happens in these uh in these situations at least with arbitrage you know when you get that product in Number one, that you you have it. You're going to the store, whatever it is. Like you're picking up the product there. 
Right. You're getting the supply and you know what, you know, what's going to sell versus trying to manage your own little supply coming in from overseas. Like you're so outmatched compared to, you know, the Walmarts, the home depots freaking bought their own freight liner. Like a lot of ways that you can't compete as a, as a smaller uh, person. And as high ticket dropshippers, we are not just reliant on one brand, one product type. We are able to kind of have a whole breadth of brands and product types, and they're each going to be in different supply chain scenarios. Some products might be coming from friggin' China. Some may be coming from Taiwan. We're going to get the stream shut down because I said that. Some may be coming from, you know, who knows where, Mexico. And so you are kind of diversified in your supply chain by high ticket drop shipping. So right. that's, and the, uh, and the best part is Mike, is that you're not the one handling the supply chain issues in the high ticket drop shipping scenario. You know, you have to deal with them and manage them kind of in tandem with the suppliers. But at the end of the day, the suppliers getting the stuff in, that's their problem. Yes. Yes, that's true. And, uh, listen, we got people piling in here now. Uh, please give a comment. We're taking attendance. Let us know you're in here and uh, we can get started with the show. Justin makes Kylamine lotion where he works. Um, so if I, if I ever get poison ivy, I'll, uh, I'll call you Justin. And uh, yeah, please make sure to drop off a whole pallet at, uh, at Joe's house. You know, when we were younger, they first came out with like the, the chicken pox vaccine. And uh, I didn't, I didn't want to get the chicken pox because I knew that like um, – you have to put calamine lotion on it. And so I was just begging our mother, like, get me this, get me this shot. Cause I don't want to get the chicken pox. Yeah. So, I mean, basically Joe has a, a big aversion to lotion uh, for people that don't know. So that's, uh, <laughs> yeah. So anyway, I, I forgot what I was even going to say before I, uh, came into the chats here. Matt says, sub fellas, you leave the question. Yeah. Leave some questions. We'll get to those after we talk about the, um, the supply chain points. Oh, oh, what I was going to say was, you said, Joe, you know, the good thing is that you're not managing the supply chain and you're not having to deal with like those headaches. We sold a store recently for $650,000 and change. Yeah. And we had, um, you know, Pat Yates from Quiet Light. We sold it through a brokerage. But what people don't know is that we actually had that, so that store sign contract for someone to buy that store for over $600,000 like a year before and they had to back out because they had their own FBA businesses and they saw all the supply chain issues happening and basically it freaked them out. It screwed up their whole workload. And again, they ultimately had to back out of that sale because they were handling their own supply chain stuff. And it, you know, it was too much of a headache with everything going on for them to proceed with the sale. So yeah, kind of goes to show, um, yeah, I mean, we talk about FBA from time to time and, you know, debate whether it's worth going into it or not. And again, we have to maintain the position. You have to be diversified in what you're doing. I wouldn't do FBA if we didn't already have a high ticket dropshipping site that was, again, allowing us to be diversified in our products, our brands, et cetera. And, uh, you know, FBA is kind of just a, a little addition to that. Not that we're going to do that anytime soon, but you get the point. You don't want to be managing one brand. Maybe you have like six different product types at most. It's like one of those goes down or, you know, a part, they can't get in a part for one or two product types that just slashed your product line by 25%. So 
So you get what I'm saying. Valicia says, hey, Mike and Joe. Sean the Don, what's up? Sean the Don. So why don't we start getting into this, Joe? Because yeah, let's start. We know by the time you know we get to the fourth point, everyone's going to come in that we're going to have to reiterate everything all over again. So we might as well just um, get right into it. Um, all right. So point number one, this one is, is kind of obvious, but the rest will be better is that you need to have your foot in the industry right now, because let me tell you what happens with supply chain issues. If you are trying to get in the door as a new supplier, like versus as a new someone, dealer, as a new dealer, sorry, versus someone that's already in, if you're in the industry, you know, the people at the supplier company, you could take dibs of that incoming inventory. So it's really important that you don't delay in doing this. And when you, you know, say you make the first outreach to the supplier and they say, no, we're having supply chain issues. We're not accepting new dealers at this point. Okay. You made the first contact. So just call them back later, but you need to start the sooner you get in with some suppliers, the sooner you're going to, the better you're going to be in the long run. Yeah. Joe, I don't think this is, this is as obvious a point as you're making it out to be because people refuse to believe it. People don't understand that they need to get started now, no matter what is going on in the world, because the next issue is always going to be happening. There's always something in the future that's going to be another possible deterrent for you. And you're right. During the pandemic, we had exactly what you were talking about. We were already in with a supplier and they were on limited. They had limited stock coming in. And so because we were already selling for them, we wound up getting an allocation of that stock. And I know that every dealer did not. Yeah. And so it was basically like free money for us because these things became so in demand. The supply was so limited. It was just a perfect, uh, you know, macroeconomic scenario where the, the supply demand curve was just so screwed up. Um, ultimately we got in trouble because I couldn't sell them at map anymore. I had to start selling them at list and then that caused a, a host of problems for us. But yeah, it's, it's, it is a big thing. If there's a supplier out there that looks good, you need to contact them. Now, if you're having even thought about starting it, you, you need to think about it now because all these things that you think are going to hold you back, are probably not going to hold you back. The only thing holding you back is yourself. Not to turn it to Tony Robbins, but it's it's the darn truth. So, All right. So the other thing is if you have an existing store, maybe it's time to get some more suppliers to offer replacements to when you're out of stock or the one supplier is out of stock. Because what that means is when you have one supplier out of stock, they're not going to be able to, to supply the rest of their dealers either. So... You know, it's not like you're missing out on anything, but if a customer is interested in that and you have a nice replacement to offer them, maybe at a little bit of a discount, then hey, that's that's good. And that is why dealers or suppliers want you on as dealers in the first place so that they don't miss out on sales. And a good if you're a good dealer for them, this is something that you'll do. Right. This is a great leverage point for you as a reseller yourself because – you could go to a supplier and you have you could have a legit excuse to contact them and say, hey, I have X amount of customers. They ordered this for me. I'm already selling this brand. I need to give them something else. So I could basically just sell your product right away. And uh, it's almost something they can't say no to, especially if they have stock and they're, they're not having um, as many supply chain issues as the first supplier is. So it's an easy win for everyone. Yeah, absolutely. So 
Next thing is to, you know, we call this drop shipping. So inventory is technically against the rules, but you can buy some inventory of your best selling stuff. And, you know, if you don't want to take stock of it in your own, um, in your house or whatever, see if you can negotiate the supplier holding it, but then locking it in as yours. So you kind of just send them a bunch of money ahead of time. Yeah. And if you know you're going to sell this stuff or if you've sold it in the past and you sell it consistently, then you know, it's going to get sold. And I think that we had a bit of a, like the first couple of times we did this, it's a bit of a mental hurdle because you're just kind of throwing money out there and it's not automatically coming back. Like it is when you make an actual sale because the money is already there. So is this is a, this is a way to certainly stand out from the competition, stop drop shipping, start uh just, just, temporarily stock some stuff if you know that it sells well. Yeah. Um, so I guess that leads us into this question here. Take a pause. If supplier said minimum initial order of 5k for any dealer without physical location, should I barter with them or go down my list and swing back for them later on? What would you say? Well, the answer that I would say is, is one that we just covered, but you did not list. I would like nowadays for me, at least if a supplier said this, I would instantly be like, all right, cool. Sign me up. I'll buy the 5k. Yeah. And they'll just hold it. And, uh, now every, you're going to be one of the only, uh, online retailers most likely because not everyone's going to do this. They're going to want to, they're going to move on to the next supplier, but this is anything that's barrier to entry is, is good at a certain point. You know, once you start getting some profits in and you know, you want to reinvest, you want to get more exclusive suppliers. You want to be able to spend more in order to, uh, to make more. Yeah. I mean, jumping on a barrier to entry opportunity is something that, you know, we look for. And I, I don't think, I think it's difficult to speak about this particular supplier because we don't know what they are, but again, I think it comes down to your personal risk. Like, are you okay with losing 5k? Yeah. If so, then, I would do it. I mean, I, I would think about the upside here. I, I, yeah. If you have, and that's that, if you have enough money to where it's, you know, you're not going to lose your house or something, then I feel like it's worth doing. Yeah. Like if, you know, there's a lot of factors there. If you're only going to make, if you, if you had to buy something for $5,000, but at the end of the day, you're only going to make a thousand bucks, then no, it's not worth it. But if you stand to make, you know, 10,000, so the 5,000 profit, then it's, it's probably worth it. If supplier looks good, you know, on paper, on Google, et cetera, then, uh, it could be something worth pursuing. So yeah, without that, uh, now that's been said, let's, uh, keep going here. Uh, where are we at? Take back orders, but in a controlled way, if you cannot replace, what does this mean, Joe? Well, you know, you don't want to get in trouble by taking too many back orders. But if you have a good customer management system and the supplier has given you time frames that they're going to have the stuff back in and when they're going to ship it, you could take back orders in a controlled way and manage those. Of course, you want to do this with manual capture um, as much as you can. Um, the other thing is, is that don't take all that cash that you're going to be getting in your bank account um, from these back orders that you're not paying for the products yet. Don't take all that cash and then go invest in uh milf coin. Yeah. 
yeah, that's one way to fail. And um, yeah, really the, the controlled way, the controlled word here is important because I just got off the phone with um, a student of ours. We we're doing a coaching call and he had a lot of back orders coming in previously in his business. And he was, you know, very on top of it. He didn't go buy a Rolls Royce or anything, but at a certain point, you know, things were supposed to arrive and supply kept getting pushed back, pushed back and pushed back. And he had to decide like, all right, I can't keep, you know, selling these products in this way because it's just going to become too much to manage and it could, it could backfire. You don't want to be holding all this cash and you got to refund it. You lose out on the fees, all that. And so, yeah, I mean, it's okay to take back orders certainly, but you don't want to be doing things. Number one, that are like, you know, 16 weeks out, uh, 12 weeks out, even usually eight weeks. If something is eight weeks, Joe, can you close your door? The, Already closed. You hear the dog? Yeah, your dog's going crazy. Yeah, it's already closed. I'll just mute the mic. I'm not talking. Yeah, yeah. You don't want to be going crazy taking back orders because you can have you can wind up with an inflated bank account. You don't know what is actually coming in, what actually has to go out, and you have potentially dozens and dozens of customers that you need to manage. You need to if something gets pushed back, you need to contact them, let them know if it's coming in, if it's not coming in. Um, so this is why we recommend trying to offer a replacement if possible. But uh, if not, just you need to be careful about this. Don't just, don't just look at the bank account and think you're taking it ease because you're not. So. And it's, you know, it's, it's, we've done this to a little bit of an extent, but not as much as some other people. Yeah. Not that we've taken, we haven't taken it, the money out to go do some crazy stuff, but we've looked, sometimes well, we look at the bank account and be like, Whoa, wow. Whoa, wow. And then, we realize what was going on. And that's the key is that we've, you know, been very um, careful about like taking money out of our business accounts. And, you know, we're always, I don't know if you want to say reinvesting back in the business, but they talk about having dry powder in the, uh, in the crypto world. And, uh, you know, you want to, yeah. So that's what they call it. Dry powder. I like that. So you want to have that, that dry powder there in case something like, you know what Matt was saying comes along. You got a you got a supplier. They want you to give five k. Boom, you can do it. No hesitation. So, yeah, um, just have a very good idea on your accounting. Don't start getting too aggressive on your ads because these sales they may never come to fruition. We have to refund all of them, and you wasted all that money trying to be super aggressive on this these products and these ads, and uh, it could all backfire. So, just uh, be careful. Enough said. Reason number five, start multiple stores. I have a little sparing, spelling error here, Joe. <laughs> we, but, I'm looking at that. <laughs> someone asked me if you had a hard time spelling today. You know what it is, Mike? I, I, I don't know. I don't think you have a hard time spelling. I think you're just moving uh, you know, a mile a minute. I'm typing too fast. And, you know, age gets lost, whatever. Who cares? Or it could be on my, I think on my eye and my iPad thing, there's like a few keys that might have a little debris in them. So they require a on little your bit. iPad. Yeah. How could you have debris on a, it's the iPad key. It's, it's, it's a screen. No, I have like the folio case. It's got a keyboard. Well, it's, it's quite, it's quite nice actually, but it's sometimes debris gets in the keys and I got to like clean them out. Otherwise they, you have to press the button harder. Yeah. I wouldn't say you have a spelling problem. I'd say you have more of a, you're moving too fast and, and a debris problem. But anyway, yeah. so 
Tip number five, start multiple stores. The beauty of internet business is the ability to not be pinned down to one location. And so people really need to maximize this. And maybe it's not, it doesn't have to be multiple stores. I mean, I like having multiple stores because it allows you to be in different industries. And of course, with different industries, there's going to be different supplier supply chain situations. But if you have one store, you can sort of touch multiple industries within one store, depending on how you set it up. Well, the thing about multiple stores is I feel like um, when we did this, we obviously, when we first started to be obviously made a ton of stores in a short time frame, and we've sold most of them. But when it comes to any sort of internet business, I strongly feel, especially when you're first getting started, starting multiple websites is what I would consider a strong foundation. Because, you know, it, it just gives you so much more safety if something goes wrong in one industry or on one website. You know, even stupid stuff that's like outside of the control of the suppliers or whatever. You know, say, for example, you have on one site a, pay, a PayPal issue. Right. You probably aren't going to have it on the other sites. Right. So there's just so many of these little things that can crop up that that's the beauty of the the internet business is that multiple websites is – easy to do and you get a lot of benefit from it obviously um within within limits yeah and we we made that video a while ago that was like one big store or three little stores or something like that and i forget who was arguing for what but i think at the end of the day it comes down to number one your expertise level um because it's going to be a lot easier as you know a uh, novice to intermediate skill person to operate three or four smaller websites than it's yeah. going to be for someone to take one website, their first website and get it to be a big earning behemoth. Where like yeah. for us, we made a bunch of sites and then some got really big and then some didn't get as big and you know, it is what it is. And also you have the fact that they're totally separate assets. So it's easier to splinter off one section of earnings and you sell that. Meanwhile, you know, your operation is hardly affected. Whereas if you have one site, that's just one asset. Yeah. 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 You really need to utilize the uh the the benefits of online business because like you said, Joe, I mean you could where else Joe, this month we could start six new blog sites, six, you know, six new assets potentially. There's and no it way might, it might up, it might happen. There's no way you can open up six, you know. Friggin' 7-Elevens in, in a month. <laughs> How are you going to do that? No. No, you're not no. starting six 7-Elevens. Seven 7-Elevens. <laughs> Dude, my tattoo is so itchy. It's like, it's just like, I don't know. It's like bubbling up. It's going to fall off. I need Justin to send that calamine lotion. <laughs> uh, so we got some pretty poor attendance on this stream today. I thought this, would have, been, thought this would have been on everyone's minds, to be honest with you. But I was wrong. You're a bad mind reader. And so we'll get to the questions and then everyone will start coming in. So Dan Z, nothing to sneeze at. This is our new logo right here. <laughs> yeah, we got to do yeah. something with this. Dan, are you, are you in the land group? He must be because uh, we were just having this conversation. So we were just having that. Uh, no, he's not. Oh, no, he is. He is. He is. Okay. Yes, Dan. We're going we're gonna to make the shirt coming soon. So do suppliers work with the people who are not from the same country and are from a different country? 
Well, Valicia, if you're in a different country and you are trying to start a U.S. dropshipping store, which I'm presuming is your question, um, if you have a U.S.-based LLC, then there's no reason for them to not work with you. Right. As long as you have a U.S.-based LLC and a U.S.-based bank account. Um, yeah, They're I never going to know if you're a citizen or, or what you are. Yeah, I think getting into Shopify payments, you might need like some sort of address, but I'm not particularly like, you know, we haven't gone through this process ourselves, but from what our students have told us, yeah, you need some sort of US-based address and bank account and uh, business entity, obviously. Yeah. Maurice, can you speak about how you go about vetting suppliers and how you build a test site to show potential suppliers? Well, we do very little vetting. That's that's the thing, <laughs> is the vetting happens very much after the fact. Yeah, yeah. The the upfront vetting is the crux. Is is crux the right word? Upfront vetting is where ninety percent of people go wrong in online business. They're trying to start a website or trying to start something on Amazon, whatever, and they've never, you know, they haven't made a lot of money online. And they want to start vetting. You're not in a position to vet. You got to just take action, see what falls in your lap, and then vet those opportunities. So, yeah, I mean, as far as building the test site and, and potential suppliers and all that, I mean, we go into that fully in our course. Uh, but we do have a free a free mini course, buildassetsonline.com slash playbook, where you can sign up and see more about that. But not to digress, it's like, I mean, we walk you step by step how to build the, the website and, and stuff like that. Um, it's not something we can't answer like fully here. So the point is that you have to just build the website, contact the suppliers, see which ones let you in, and th then you vet them. You don't know what their price lists are going to be. You don't know, you know, if the guy's a, a friggin' idiot and they're going to break everything. They, they don't pack it right. So <laughs> those are things that uh, you can never know upfront, and you may miss out on opportunities because you decide something's not worth pursuing or you get your hopes up and you waste energy trying to pursue an opportunity that actually isn't a good opportunity. So um, that's what I can say about that. <clears throat> anyway, Matt said, understood. I don't have 5k, but supplier looks promising. Thanks. Yeah, oh. try, try and talk them down, I guess. I mean, that's always an option. Yeah. We're just saying the barrier to entry is good. Yeah, ask if uh, you know, IOU or something. Yeah, maybe do twenty five hundred or two thousand. Hey, I'm in mil you know. milf coin. <laughs> uh, LMAO. Do you guys have tax benefits like paying less taxes, tax breaks? Well, well, I would say no one really, no one really has tax benefits. Um, <laughs> it's more so like you have your CPA look at your business apply the tax code to your business and, you know, write off different things and see, or, or, and, or structure your business in a way where you pay less taxes due to your corporate structure. Well, can we say Joe, that it is in our opinion that having a business is by far the best way to take advantage of the tax codes. Yeah. As a W2 or like a regular citizen, I mean, yeah, there really is no, there's really no, no way to get any sort of 
write-offs or, or whatever. And the other, so here's the other, the other thing too, with a business is typically you get to write off, um, like reinvestments you make on your business, depending on what it is. Like, for example, you get to write off advertising and spending money on advertising helps grow your business. So as a regular employee, it's like, you can't take any money, spend it, get the tax write off and then have it make more money for you later. Exactly. Yeah. So we get, <laughs> we get tax benefits by reinvesting back into the business and by reinvesting back into the business, we get more money. So and that's, that's kind of the idea of the tax code, right? Is that they want to incentivize businesses to spend more on business, which grows the economy. And as such, they reward you with, they're not going to charge you tax on that money you reinvest. So, uh, yeah. And what I would say is, no, I'm not going to say anymore because I don't want to, I don't want to say anymore. But having a business, that's that's all there is to say, really. Having a business is the best possible thing you can do for your taxes. Or you can move to Puerto Rico and get that 4% tax rate, like Justin talks about. I I thought it was 0% in Puerto Rico. I don't know that, I didn't think they paid any tax. Well, I'm sure maybe it's you don't have to pay like Social Security and and Medicare and stuff. I thought there was no federal income tax in Puerto Rico. But he's saying maybe you pay. the 4% to Puerto Rico. Maybe you do, but yeah, that's, uh, that's, a big, I, I, big you know, I would, I would, I would be interested, but this heat lately, I don't, I don't want to go anywhere. I'm ready to go to Siberia. <laughs> Siberia. Contacted about 30 suppliers today, for my new store by email or dealer form got in with four already. Should I list these products and start ads ASAP? Even though it's not a ton of products and types. Yes. Start. What Four else brands. is there? What are you going to do? <laughs> twiddle, twiddle your thumbs. At least now when you, co- you contact the rest of the suppliers, you're already up and running. Maybe you're going to be making some sales by then. And you say, hey, you better jump on this uh, this wagon right now. The train's picking up speed. <laughs> so good job, Matt. So that's, uh, that's the name of the game right there. Ricky, as a joke, two more Amazon stores. No, Jeff Bezos has enough. I'm not sure I, I follow the joke. Yeah, I don't really follow that. <laughs> but appreciate it, Ricky. Felicia, how long does it normally take you guys to rank a website through SEO? Well, it really depends on what you're ranking and, and the website in general. So I feel that our like dropshipping stores rank a little bit easier than like a new WordPress site because oh. – by the time you're creating content for a dropshipping store, it's been around a while. It's got a lot. Of, it's already got a lot of paid traffic coming to it, so it's kind of recognized already by Google. And um, yeah, it's I would say faster to start making money through SEO that way. But uh, with other sites, it could take like four to twelve months. I'd say. Yeah, and also it depends on the keyword you want to rank for. So obviously, you know, your website isn't necessarily ranking. It's just, you know, you're ranking for a particular keyword. So yeah, it depends on how long tail they are. And obviously with um, dropshipping, you have the ability to go after more long tail keywords because even if they don't bring you a lot of traffic, the return on ranking for a particular keyword is much higher. 
Yeah. And so we have videos on like uh keyword golden ratio. And I don't, is that still a thing, Joe? I mean, sort it definitely, you know, it, it, well, I wouldn't say it's a major thing, but what I would say is that when you combine long tail keywords with high ticket products, it's a recipe for easy SEO wins. Speaking of easy SEO wins, I just got off a call. I was talking about, I was talking about one of our students uh, who we've, we've had on this, uh, this show here. Yeah. Uh, and he wrote two articles and he kind of just stopped it right, right there. And one of them is ranking first page for like a pretty significant term. Yeah, I know what it is, I think. Okay. And so I was, pre- I was blown away by that. I was like, you know, I said kind of in a joking manner. I was like, well, oh, wow, it works. <laughs> it is funny when you see, you know, like we put a lot of effort into SEO and uh, maybe for the amount that we get out of it, it's like less worth it. But, you know, you write two articles, one of them ranks the top of the page, you know, first page of Google for a very high value term in the industry. Nothing to sneeze at. Yeah. I mean, it does work. I mean, that's, that's, that's the challenge of it is the SEO stuff is pretty easy, but how to monetize it in a way that makes financial sense could be more difficult. Yeah. The, the time management portion of it, the, you know, the business model of it, it's all very open-ended. Exactly. Because, you know, you have people that just endlessly publish stuff. You have people that make, you know, like you know, smaller sites. And so you have to figure out kind of uh, the, the, the 80, 20 <clears throat> principle of using these tactics. And then you have real businesses, you know, you have so many you have real people. businesses. Yeah. You have real businesses trying to rank their websites. You have people that are doing local lead gen sites, trying to rank locally in the map pack. You have local businesses trying to outcompete the lead gen sites. You have, st- it encompasses so much yeah. stuff that, you know, it's all yeah. about, you got to find your, your way. Yeah. SEO blogging. There is, those are just tools. You know, Indeed. you can't be just, you can't, the thing is you can't just be running around with a hammer trying to you know apply it everywhere right you have to figure out where it be- best works for you and i mean i think we've really pioneered using it for high ticket drop shipping and that's kind of uh that out of all the things we've done with seo applying it to high ticket drop shipping has been extremely effective in terms of just getting the rankings and it's been extremely effective in terms of the returns so that's applying it uh, to kindle was pretty good too but applying it to kindle was good yes I wouldn't say it brought in as much like raw return, but the right. the way that it diversified the asset and brought in more traffic and helped the sales multiple made it all worth it. So that's that. So I'd say we could wrap it up here. It's a bit of a shorter one, a bit of a smaller group, but that's okay. Not everything is going to be a slam dunk. Oh, but, and that's what you got to realize about your suppliers. Yeah, not all suppliers are slam dunks. Some are going to suck. Some are going to be really good. But sometimes uh, sometimes it might be you that sucks. Maybe the supplier wasn't bad. Maybe you just didn't know how to run ads. And this is this is certainly true for myself. <laughs> Took us many years sometimes to like see like, oh, the supplier, we can actually get a lot of sales with them. Uh, one last question here, it seems. Joe, how do you attribute sales to SEO articles, if at all, assuming Google Analytics? Yeah, well, we all we don't spend that much time on this, but you know, oftentimes. So when you look at like in Shopify, you can kind of look at the the history of the customer where they first landed landed on your website, and so we'll look at that sometimes, kind of just one off. 
Google Analytics provides some insight, but I mean, yeah. at the end of the day, I guess having verification that they're coming, because then sometimes they don't come from anywhere. Sometimes they just hit the homepage and order. So where did they come from there? Um, but yeah, just, just, I guess, seeing the customer history, the conversion details is, is what it's called. Um, right. So yeah, I'm looking at, I'm looking actually, I'm actually looking on one of our pages, right? Like I'm looking at our, our last sale, um, one of our stores. And so they visited the store from an organic search on Google. The first page they hit was a collection page organically. And then they converted after a visit, um, from a Google shopping ad. Yeah. So, I mean, how, how, I don't know how analytics quantifies that order, to be honest with you. Right. Yeah, it's more mental attribution that we do than anything. And because it, it, because it's just such a high ROI that it's like, who gives a shit? Yeah. If it brought us four sales, six sales, whatever it is, that article's up, it's ranking, it's, it's doing something. Whether it is just a, a touch point for a customer, whether it's, you know, a customer goes right there and then they buy or... Uh, you know, it's just a supporting article a customer may read along their journey. It is playing some role. So. Indeed. Indeed. Yes. And, uh, can you tell the amount of Google traffic at least or organic traffic? Yeah, for sure. Yeah. You can definitely see yeah, the amount of traffic. Yeah. And so, and it's, again, it's so easy to just get at this organic traffic. You're not paying for it. So it's like, who cares? And that's why I say, I don't really care that much about conversion rate because, I'm not paying for these, uh, these visitors a lot of the time. So, yeah. Anyway, that's that. It's been a 40 minute live stream just to, you know, come on here, show that we're alive. We're making sales, supply chain, no supply chain. We'll do it. We'll make it happen. So thank you guys for coming. Go to build slash playbook, where you could see how we create a $1 million plus, online business portfolio with little Wait, experience hold on we're getting What's some up? funny we're getting some funny chats right now oh my god wait no super chats you guys are genuine that's so funny <laughs> i thought that was yeah i don't even know how that to do funny. super chats i i don't know either but Valicia, love you guys we love you Valicia. i feel like if you have a lot so i feel like the whole point of the super chat is if you have a live stream that's just getting spammed with like crypto stuff you have to have like some way, but no, nah, I, I guess people use it to actually make money. Maybe we should look into that. <laughs> Maybe bring in the crypto spammers. So everyone has a super <laughs> chat for us to read their question. Anyway, build assetsonline.com slash playbook, build a million dollars in online assets from your mom's basement. Go there and take it or leave it. But as always, take it easy. Thanks for listening to the build assets online podcast. If you've enjoyed the show, don't forget, subscribe, share, and leave us a rating on whatever platform you might be listening from. And if you're ready to learn how to build your own online business portfolio, start now by visiting buildassetsonline.com slash playbook. We'll see you in the next episode.